Thank you for checking out the Faith City Church Podcast. We believe that you'll be blessed by today's message. We've been looking at this text here, really in this whole season of of gifts, talking about the greatest gift. We're going to start in verse 16, and we're going to read 16 and 17 together because I believe that context is important. It says, For God so loved the world... In fact, let's read this together. Can we read this together? Ready, read. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now this is good. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved. Now I love verse 17 because it gives us context. God didn't send his son of the world to condemn or to judge, but to save us. We've talked a lot about salvation and what that means. But I love this in the mirror translation, Francois Dutois, he is French by the way, puts it like this, the entire cosmos is the object of God's affection and he is not about to abandon his creation. The gift of a son is for humanity to realize their origin in him who mirrors their authentic birth. Begotten not of flesh, but of the Father. Say, that's me. Say it again with meaning. That's me. In this persuasion, the life of the ages echoes within the individual and announces that the days of regret and sense of lostness are over. Is that powerful? See, the gospel to me is good news. It's not bad news about how bad you are. It's good news about how good he is. And it's from that goodness that we receive life and we only have to believe. Do you know that your belief doesn't make it happen? But it makes it true to you? When you believe, you walk in it. I say it often, but we only walk in what we believe. So he's already given the gift. The greatest gift ever given was Jesus. We could even say this, the greatest gift ever given was God himself. See, God was in Christ bringing the world into favor, that word reconciling, reconciling the world to himself. And it's this beautiful story of of a father who loves us, and so he sends himself to us so we could get the record straight. Because there's a lot of people with good intentions who didn't get it right. They didn't paint the picture of the father correctly. He was an angry deity like, like Zeus or Marduk or any of the other gods, and you must appease him in order for him to be okay with you. But no, he's a father. He loves you, and now he just needs you to awaken to your true identity in him. And so it comes down to will we believe. So we've been talking about the greatest gift, Jesus, but I believe that when we unwrap this greatest gift, there's so many layers contained within it. We've talked about the gift of faith, That's a gift wrapped up in the gift of Jesus. We've talked about the gift of forgiveness. There's a gift of righteousness. That's right relationship. There's a gift of grace. There's a gift of peace, the prince of peace. And I want to talk today about this idea of the gift of family. Say that with me. The gift of family. See, Jesus came to show us that we belong. He came to show us the true heart of the father, the, the father's heart, his disposition towards you was one of good. He saw you as someone who was good and pleasing and as his son and daughter, but we didn't know it. We didn't understand it. I say it a lot, but we walk through this life, like Paul says, as orphans. And he's saying, will you awaken to who you truly are? 
The Gospel of John says that everything that was created was created through Christ. That includes you and me. But we have to awaken to the sense of where our source of life comes from. And when we do, we start to walk differently. Maybe we hold our head a little bit higher. Uh, Maybe we have a little spring in our step. Maybe that's where that joy can come from and that peace that we need in life. See, Jesus wasn't here to change God's mind about us. He was here to change our minds about God. See how, how little that shift can be in our thinking? Because I've, I've heard what people would consider the gospel, a message of an angry God who must be appeased. He needed someone killed so he'd be okay with you. But what I see in the cross is I see a God who was in Christ showing us what it looked like to be self-giving, sacrificing love. Do you know who crucified Christ? We did. You're like, I wasn't there. Humanity did. The apostles say that what was done to Christ was unjust. So why did it happen? Because Jesus was showing us what it looks like. No greater love has a man than this than to lay down his life for another. But the resurrection spoke directly to the way that the world operated. A world of anger and hatred and retribution and war and greed. This is what drove Jesus to the cross. Religion and politics, empire, drove Jesus to a cross, hung him on a cross because he was messing with their agenda. But in the resurrection, it was God's answer. It was his vindication saying, no, it's wrong. How you're living is wrong. I've never created you to live that way. You're to live in righteousness, peace, and joy. This is the kingdom. And so we see this, and it's powerful, and it's, it's, it's miraculous. And I believe that the cross is important, but the resurrection is the other half of it. We have to see resurrection, because if we don't, then we ourselves won't experience resurrection in our own lives. We have to die to old thoughts and habits and ideas, ideas we had of God and ourselves and others in order to resurrect to new ideas that God is giving us. It's there, the fruit, the good works, everything's already there inside. And he says what? To work out the salvation that I've worked in. Salvation, that's the theme of this gift. And salvation, I'll say it again, I say it all the time, but it's not just a ticket to heaven and a sweet by and by. Salvation means preservation, safety, wholeness, healing, restoration, deliverance, rescue. How many could use some of that right about now? That's what it's for. I'm convinced that I will spend eternity with my father. But man, what about now? So many people are trying to get off this planet and Jesus wants you to stay here. Expand the kingdom. It's ever growing. It's like leaven in bread, right? A little leaven leavens the whole loaf. It grows and it grows and it grows. So I think there should be a sense of excitement with this gift with so many layers contained within it. Yesterday I was talking to my youngest son, Aiden, and he was all excited and he got up to the, the tree. I was sitting on the couch and he, he the tree goes, Daddy, Daddy, I just want to open one present. Can I open just one present? And I went, no, we got to wait. Christmas is in three days. And he goes, no, it's two. I'm like, no, it's, it's three. We've got Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. He goes, no, it's two. Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. 
It's like any way we can get. So this morning he walks down, he wakes up, he comes down to my office. I was down there praying and studying for a little bit. He comes down and he says, oh my gosh, I'm so excited. Christmas is almost here. Almost here. And I said, yeah, two days. He goes, no, it's one. I'm like, how do you get that count? I said, there's Monday and Tuesday. He said, no, there's Monday and there's Tuesday. <laughs> Anything we can do to, to, to rush it here, get it here as quick as we can and open those gifts. But that's how kids are. When kids unwrap gifts, uh, you never have to beg them to unwrap the gift. Usually they're down there early, they want to open, and when they do it, there's an anticipation, there's an excitement, there's a joy. I would ask you that this Christmas you think about what it means for what Jesus did for us, what he brought to us, the gifts that he brought us, and maybe, just maybe, we'll have some excitement and some anticipation as to what each layer holds, because guess what? It's a journey. And so as we go on this journey, we'll discover new layers of gifts upon gifts upon gifts. Doesn't mean that the world is perfect. Look around you, right? That's why everyone needs to be saved. He came to seek and to save the lost. People lost their identity and they need healing, preservation, deliverance, safety, rescue, and restoration. That's what we all need. And there's even areas of my life still that I need deliverance and preservation and safety and healing and wholeness. And so it's this process that we go through, but how many know that you have to believe and you have to be open to receiving that gift? Someone can offer you a gift, but if you don't take it, receive it, you won't experience it. And so that's what God has done for us. He's given us these gifts. I want to look at the book of Zephaniah. Say Zephaniah. Isn't that a cool name? You're like, is that in the Bible? It is. It's in the Old Testament, Zephaniah. That's a cool name. Babe, should we have another kid so we can name him Zephaniah? <laughs> yeah, I knew that I'd get that reaction. <laughs> hey, Zeph, we'll call him Zeph. So the prophet Zeph here, huh? That's, shh, no pets allowed. So the prophet Zephaniah, he's one of the minor prophets. We have major prophets. Uh, some of the major prophets, Jeremiah, Isaiah, you see the prophecies that, that they foretold of this coming king, this savior, this Messiah. But we have Zephaniah, and there's some beautiful things in here that Zephaniah says. This was around 650 B.C. Uh, we could say it was over, what, 2,600 years ago this, that this was written. And so Zephaniah writes these words. And before this, if you, if you read all three chapters, when you read about the first two-thirds, it's really full of doom and gloom. I mean, it's very apocalyptic. Israel has strayed so far away from really the most important two things that all the prophets have challenged, and that is proper worship and proper justice in life, the way you treat your neighbor. And so this is all part of the commands and the commandments. This is really what wraps it up is proper worship and, you know, being just to your neighbor. And so as he, he, as he goes through this whole process of what's going to happen, because I'm telling you what, Israel went through it. I mean, even from this time, the temple was destroyed. The different empires came in and occupied and ruled them up until the time of Jesus when Rome was ruling in Jerusalem. But he gives them some hope here towards the end. We're going to look at verse 16 of chapter 3. Hang with me here because this is beautiful. Verse 16 says, on that day, now remember, there's all this stuff going on. They even had like 77 years of, of these wicked kings that were persecuting the righteous. I mean, everything was falling to pieces, and so he's encouraging them. He says, on that day, the announcement to Jerusalem will be, cheer up, Zion. Don't be afraid, for the Lord your God is living among you. Now, this is beautiful. He's speaking of a time when the Lord will live 
among them. You know when salvation came to this earth? When God showed up? When Jesus was born, the incarnation? That's God in flesh. He says, he will take delight in you with gladness. You ever thought that God takes delight in you? I think for some of us, that's hard to fathom. With his love, he will calm all your fears. These are beautiful words. He will rejoice over you with joyful songs. Now, now think, think about this. God will rejoice over you. Let me ask you a question. Do you ever rejoice over your children? No matter how old they are. Sometimes you just see them, you're like, wow. doesn't matter if they're 27, 28, 29, 30 years old. You rejoice over them. You see these different steps in their journey in their life. And as a parent, it just ministers to you. You know, God's like that with us. He delights in us. He rejoices over us. And because of that love, Zephaniah was prophesying of a time that God would finally show up with us, God with us, Emmanuel. He'd be with us to show us who we are, his own, his sons and his daughters. But again, we have to awaken to this. Look at this. If we drop down to verse 19, the second part of 19, look at this. It says, I will bring together those who were chased away. I will give glory and fame to my former exiles wherever they have been mocked and shamed. Look at verse 20. On that day, I will gather you together and bring you home again. I agree, Bruce. Hallelujah. Bring you home again. Now, this is Zephaniah, 650 BC, prophesying of a time when God would be among us. And we know today, some 2,600 years later, that was Jesus. Now, think about the ministry of Jesus. I think about the fact that he would take people who were outcast, those who were chased away, and he would bring them home. His whole life was ministering health and healing and wholeness and restoring people back to their proper place in life. This is what Jesus did. I think it was very first miracle. Remember when he turned water into wine? Some of you are like, yeah, that's my favorite miracle. I, I think about that every time I drink a glass of wine. Amen. There's so much within the things that Jesus did, but, but something really stuck out to me. At this time, there would be weddings and wedding feasts. And this was a big deal. And so when you had a wedding feast, you had to have booze to go with the food. Can I get an amen? You're like, what? <laughs> but that's what it was all about. They had to have that wine with the feast. Now, here's what's interesting. They ran out of wine. Do you know what would happen if the guests found out that the wine was gone? It would bring shame to the wedding party and the family. I mean, I know, this is just me thinking here, maybe my opinion. And Jesus said, nope, no shame today. And he turned water into wine and the party kept going. Jesus did all these great things. You think about the fact that he would welcome the tax collectors and the sinners to the table. Now in Jewish culture, this is not something that you would do. When you welcome someone to your table and you ate with them, it was a form of covenant. You were saying, I accept you. You're okay with me. And Jesus would find the outcasts and the sinners and the tax collectors and the chief tax collectors and welcome them to his table saying, you are with me. You're no longer an outcast. Isn't that beautiful? 
You know, Jesus also would dine and eat with the Pharisees. I think that's awesome because what Jesus was saying is that, listen, this love is for everyone. No one's excluded. Sometimes we can get really hard on the Pharisees. You know what Jesus had an issue with? He had an issue with religion. He had an issue with anything that would return people to bondage, would would make them captives, would make them slaves to a system. Jesus didn't like that. Jesus did not come to bring religion. He came to bring relationship. He came to awaken you to who you truly are. So Jesus had an issue with religion, but not people. He dined with sinners, tax collectors, and even the Pharisees. Jesus healed all those that he came into contact with. Jesus healed the lepers. Think about that. The lepers. Remember the, leper, the lepers he healed? Remember the woman with the issue of blood? Do you know that these people were considered unclean? They weren't allowed to hang around anyone who was considered clean. They weren't allowed to worship at the temple because they were unclean. And Jesus touched those that were considered unclean. You know what's beautiful about that? A leper would literally be ripped from his home if he was discovered to have leprosy taken from his family. They would travel around in these packs just to try to stay alive and survive. But imagine being a leper for two, four, six, 10, 20 years, and then being healed by Jesus. You could return to your home, return to your family. See, Jesus is in the healing business. He's in the restoration business. He wants to bring people back home. This was the life of Christ. Just look through the Gospels. Jesus was touched by notorious sinners. There's a story where Jesus was invited to the house of Simon the Pharisee. And he says, hey, Jesus, why don't you come over for a meal? So Jesus says, okay. I mean, guess what? Jesus loves everyone. So, you know, let's, let's do this. So as he's sitting there, this woman comes in. In fact, the scriptures say a sinful woman comes in. So you know what her label is, right? She's been labeled an outcast and a sinner. Well, she comes into this party, she falls at the feet of Jesus, and she begins to weep. See, Jesus had done something miraculous in her life. He had brought her back to a place where she felt worthy again. He had restored her. So out of that, that, that feeling of appreciation, she comes to Jesus in the midst of this meal that's going on, by the way. Now remember, the clean and then the unclean sinful woman comes in. She falls at his feet. She begins to weep. And she begins to kiss his feet and her tears start to cover his feet and she begins to wipe his feet with her hair. And then she brings this alabaster bottle of perfume. Some say that it could equal a full year's wages. She breaks this bottle over his feet. The oily perfume goes all over his feet. And Simon's sitting there in his religious manner and he thinks to himself, if Jesus were really a prophet, he would know that this woman is a sinner. I love Jesus, because he heard Simon's thoughts. And it says he turned to him and said, I got something to tell you, Simon. I say, uh-oh. So Jesus does what he always does, and he tells a story. He tells a parable. He said there were two men who both owed the same banker money. Now, one owed 500 coins, and the other owed 50. But the banker forgave them their debt. And he says, which one of those men who owed Love the banker more. Simon thinks for a minute and he says, well, probably the guy who owed him the most money. And Jesus responds to him. He says, I tell you 
that her many sins are forgiven, so she showed me great love. Now think about this for a minute. When she comes in and does this, she's doing this like little ritual for Jesus to, to show the appreciation she has for him. And one thing that Jesus says to Simon, this is crazy because Jesus just gets real. He goes, hey, Simon, when I came into your house, he said, you didn't wash my feet. Now, this was customary for an honored guest to wash their feet when they came in. Simon didn't do it. He says, but yet with her tears, she washes my feet and she dries my feet with her hair. Isn't that crazy? He says, Simon, when I came into your house, you didn't greet me with a kiss. Another custom. You greet an honored guest with a kiss at the door, saying you're welcome, you're honored here. Simon didn't do that to Jesus. But he says, yet she kisses my feet. He says, Simon, when I came into the house, you also didn't put oil on my head. Another custom of saying, oh, here's my guest of honor in my home. Simon didn't do that. He says, yet here she is putting oil and perfume on my feet. And then he says, I tell you that her many sins are forgiven, so she showed great love. But the person who is forgiven only a little will only show a little love, just a love a little bit. Now think about this. What he was saying is, Simon, you think you're better than her. Your level of love towards me is gauged on how much better you think you are than everyone else. She knows that she's a great sinner. She knows that she struggles in life. And because of that, because I've forgiven her much, she loves me much. But you, you couldn't even wash my feet. You couldn't greet me with a kiss. You couldn't put oil on my head. Dang. <laughs> And I'm sure he said it with a smile, with great love, because Jesus is loving. He's just saying, listen, I mean, there's times that, that Jesus comes to me and shows things in my life, and I'm like, dang, <laughs> I, I got some work to do. And Jesus is like, yeah, we got work to do, but we're going to do it together, because I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Let's do this together. Let's do this journey together. You know, Jesus would feed people. He would forgive people. He would heal all that came to his party. He would tell stories like, for instance, the story of the prodigal son who returned home and was received by the father. I think of another story when Jesus had to go to the other side. He went to the region of the Gerasenes and there was this demon-possessed man who came to him and he healed this man completely restored, completely set back to right mind, no longer insane. He restores this man. And I think it's interesting because he went to the other side. See, we all have other sides in our life. We all have other people, you know, the us and them mentality that we demonize. I think Jesus was trying to set a picture here of the kingdom. Don't demonize people. Don't see them as other. We need to see them as us. It's not us and them. It's us now. We're children of God. Will we see it? It will change the way that you approach people, the way that you handle people, the way that you talk to people, the way that you treat people will change when you see that I no longer demonize people who I think are other. No, no, no. We're all the same. No one is better than anyone else. Just like the Pharisee Simon, he had to go, wow, I'm no better than that sinful woman. I need Jesus as well. So what we see is we see that Jesus came to this world. 
He showed us the way home. Those who were driven away and chased away and demonized and outcast, he returns us home. Why? Because we are family. Say that with me. We are family. All of us. It completely changes how you see people. I think that the perfect, most modern day picture of what happens when the greatest gift Jesus intersects with humanity is the Christmas truce of 1914. It was World War I, December 24th, 1914. It was on the Western Front near Ypres, Belgium, on the border with France. And there was trench warfare going on. Trench warfare at its very worst. You had British on one side, you had the Germans on the other side, mustard gas, bombs, bullets, disease. Men were living for weeks at a time in trenches, killing each other to gain 100 feet just to lose 100 feet. That's hell if I've ever heard of one. That's not how God wants us to live. Trench warfare. So it's Christmas Eve and the story goes that some German soldiers start singing the song Silent Night, which is a German song anyway. And so the British start hearing this song. And of course they don't understand the words, but they know the melody. And so as more German soldiers sing Silent Night, Holy Night, All is calm. All is bright. More German soldiers singing than the British soldiers join in in English. German and English singing the same song. This really happened. You can look it up on Google. That's where I go for all my stuff. Uh, but they're singing these songs together, Christmas songs. And what I see is you have people who are sworn enemies on two sides who both believe in Jesus. Two sides who believe that Jesus is the Prince of Peace, yet they're shooting at one another. And finally, someone gets brave enough to come up out of that trench. I mean, the reality is they could just have their head shot off. I mean, that's just what happens in war. But it didn't happen. He comes out of his trench. Another man comes out of his trench from the British and German and British. And they meet in this dead space in the middle. You know, the territory they were trying to get. They call it no man's land. They meet. They shake hands. say Merry Christmas they exchange gifts they exchange names and addresses the next morning Christmas morning they wake up again they greet one another they actually call an unauthorized truce now this wasn't authorized from any of the you know generals or you know the higher ups they say, we're having a truce, and they enjoyed Christmas. They smoked cigars. They ate together. They received communion. They sat at the Lord's table together. 
story goes that they even played some pickup games of soccer. <laughs> you know, there's actually a monument of a cross in that field to this day. And it's been said that people actually bring a soccer ball and lay it at the foot of the cross just to remind us that Jesus is the Prince of Peace. You know, there were officers that day who were court-martialed, but not by the Prince of Peace, not by Jesus. And on the 26th, when the war resumed, you know, many of those men put down their guns. How could they shoot their new friends who they celebrated Jesus with? What can we learn from this story? You know, a lot of us, we dig our own trenches. We dig trenches in life. We all have trenches. And we dig them deep and we fight for those trenches because no one's taken my trench away from me. You follow me. And we refuse to embrace, we refuse to love, we refuse to show grace, we refuse to forgive because those people are other than me. Everyone has their trenches. Conservative trench. Liberal trench. Denominational trench. A uh, non-denominational trench. <laughs> Black trench, white trench, gay trench, straight trench. We dig trenches. And maybe the Prince of Peace is asking us to, by faith, poke our head up and walk out of that trench and meet in the middle. To start relationship with someone who you think you never could to empathize, to hear their story. That's what Jesus did to the outcast, to those who are in need. That's what Jesus did. He brought people together, those who were outcasts and those who were driven away from their home. He says, no, we're all coming back home. This is a place called the kingdom of God and it's different than the systems of the world. It's more powerful than religion. It's more powerful than empire. It's more powerful than anthems and flags, folks. It's the kingdom of God. I love this nation we live in, but all of us have baggage. We all have regrets. So let's live out of the kingdom. Let's get out of the trenches. So what, what mind changes, that's the word repentance, can we experience in this Christmas season that tears down the walls of separation, not just between God and us, but between us and them? Like we need to come to a place where there's no more us and them. We're all brothers and sisters. We're in this together. We're in the same kingdom. Some just haven't awakened to that yet. So why don't you be the change agent? Show the love. Show the grace. Show the light of Christ to others. Just like the Christmas truce of 1914. Maybe we have to call some truces in our own life. 
and say, it doesn't matter who I voted for, who won and who didn't. It doesn't matter the color of my skin. It doesn't matter right now my sexual orientation. Let the Holy Spirit deal with those things. Show people love so they can see the light of Christ. And when they do, God will work on whatever he needs to work on in their life. I don't have to change people. God changes people. But I bring the message of hope to the world, and so do you. So what trenches can we come out of this Christmas? What steps can we take this Christmas season to bring the gift of family to our world? Amen. For more information about Faith City Church, please go to faithcity.tv. As always, we pray that you would grow in the knowledge and grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.